We're previewing Monday Night Football with special guest, The Entertainer, coming up next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a live edition of the Locked on Giants podcast. I am Patricia Trainer, and happy to have you with us on this special Sunday. We are previewing Monday Night Football. We're talking Giants. And as promised, I am joined by the one and only, the entertainer, Chris Guzzo. Chris, my friend, thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday morning with me. This is so exciting. I can't wait for this to, to get kicked off. I appreciate you for having me on. I had a, I had a lot of fun talking with you uh, last week uh, about the state of the New York Giants. Obviously, we got a big game coming up this week. Um, you know, we are three and six, but if we win, you know, maybe you feel a little bit differently about the New York Giants going forward. So always get up for a game uh, going up against Tom Brady. Absolutely. And a lot of history there. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some things, Giants. And of course, those of you who are watching us live, feel free to send your questions and we'll check them in and we'll sprinkle them in throughout the show. We're going to go maybe about an hour or so, you know, depending on how things go. Lots to talk about. And, uh, you know, if you're not following Chris on Twitter, make sure you give him a follow. I have his, his Twitter account there at the bottom, always tweeting out some great stats, some information. And of course, he has his own podcast that I encourage you to check out. So, all right, Chris, I got to talk about a couple of things. You know, I, I started to put together a what I call a Monday morning musings column for Giants Country, which is where I write. And I don't normally like to call for people's jobs because, you know, I tend to be kind of on the patient side. I tend to be kind of, you know, look at the different circumstances. But there are a couple guys that that I just think are falling way short of the mark. And I want to start there. And I got to start with Dave Gettleman, mm -hmm. specific to what he hasn't been able to do with the offensive line. And let's just start there, because I know you posted a great stat about Daniel Jones and what he's been able to do despite that offensive line. Let's start with, with Gettleman. I mean, he spoke about fixing that line. I know he's tried. It hasn't been done. Is that a fireball offense, do you think, for Gettleman? Yes. And, and, and like I said the last time we talked, I've been a person that's been like you. I'm very much like you in the sense that I'm patient. I want to see things play out. I want to give everybody a fair opportunity, um, especially with the situation that uh, Gettleman inherited, which I didn't think was a very good one. But this offseason, I thought it was blatantly obvious <laughs> when you had as bad of an offensive line as we've had uh, his first three years being here in the last six or seven years before he got here, for him to lose his most accomplished offensive lineman in Zeitler and not replace him and not do anything to try to rebuff this offensive line and just depend on guys like Shane Lemieux and Matt Parrott, um, to and obviously bad luck with Lemieux getting hurt, but Matt Parrott didn't get hurt. He got beat out by Nate Solder. And for you not to address the offensive line at all this entire offseason, yes. I, and I think it was obvious, Pat, uh, before the year started that Gettleman and Judge, I want to include both because I do think they work collaboratively, came to the conclusion, yeah, maybe we did 
mess up with our evaluation in terms of not trying to address the offensive line this entire offseason when they were scrambling to pick up scrap heap offensive linemen the best they could. We had to trade B.J. Hill to get Billy Price uh, picking up Matt Skura. So I think it was obvious that the Giants realized about two weeks before the season started um, that they were in big trouble in terms of having uh, depth on that offensive line. Now, let's take a look. I'm going to see if I can put a graphic up here real quick. This has been the starting offensive line combinations. This is from uh, the Giants media notes here. They've had, what, what is it, about seven different combinations, I think? Uh, yeah, looks about, about look, maybe even more, actually. Not Well, starting combinations, not even counting the ones that, uh, that they've had in-game when they've had to make adjustments and stuff like that. I mean, amongst this group here, I mean, other than for Andrew Thomas, are there any keepers, do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Nick Gates, I know, is a fan favorite. I, I like Nick Gates. I like his attitude. And if he comes back healthy, which I think is a huge question mark at this point in time of whether or not he's even going to be near the same player, could potentially be a, a starting capable offensive lineman. And Will Hernandez, I think, like we said last time, he's at least borderline, but I don't know if they're going to be able to retain him, obviously, due to salary implications. And, you know, he's an OK lineman. But the only guy that really stands out to me is Andrew Thomas. Yeah, and I agree. And you had... um I guess you had gotten this from Pro Football Focus, the different yeah. grades of the offensive lineman. Not very good. I no, mean, that no, is scary. That's an understatement. <laughs> that is really scary looking. And you know, I'm you know, disclaimer, I don't understand how Pro Football Focus grades and I think grades are subjective, but you know, you look at the eye test here and oh my goodness. Wow, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and if you look at a, a line like the Cowboys, I didn't put it up there. I almost did because I don't want to depress Giants fans. All their linemen are like 80 or better. And you look at the Cleveland Browns, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, you know, it's and it's it's not just this year, Pat. It's been for 12 years, um, you know, with the state of affair with this offensive line. Yeah, and and I just don't understand what the big deal is that with, with, with fixing it. I mean, you know, I know he tried to. I, I want to make that clear. He tried to fix it. But you question some of the moves and some of the thinking here. And it was almost like, you know, all right, you mentioned Shane Lemieux. He was a fifth-round pick. Well, David Deal, I think, was a fifth-round pick back in the day as well. And they lucked out kind of with him. So, I mean, I I don't know. Were they maybe trying to catch lightning in a bottle again? Listen, of course there's going to be instances. instances, And I have this conversation with people all the time on my channel. Of course there's going to be instances where you could find where teams get value late in the late in the draft with the offensive linemen. But at the same time, Pat, when the line's been as bad as it's been, conventional wisdom would tell you not just at the tackle position, at the guard position, whatever else, um, you're going to have a higher success rate if you try to address it earlier in the draft. So that's my take on it. I think it's been the primary problem for this team for years. And fix it and go out there and, and, and do it, do the best that you can to fix it. And um, and and that's why I was not I – I don't even want to say a Gettleman fan, but like – supporting Gettleman in what he was trying to do because up until this year I did I did think that he was at least making it a focal point to fix the line um he just didn't follow through this year at all yeah which was surprising which was surprising now you also posted this other stat here with Daniel Jones and we're going to talk about him in a little bit but I found this absolutely amazing that you know despite the fact he's had a questionable offensive line despite the fact his playmakers have been in and out of the lineup this is not bad production, you know, all things considered. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, by no means am I saying that Daniel Jones is elite. Um, and I, I know Giant, you know, Giants. I think a lot of Giants fans just assume that elite quarterbacks grow on trees. <laughs> they don't. Um, they're they're elite for a reason. You might find an elite quarterback once every four or five drafts, and that and that's if you hit on him, and 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 that's if you're picking in the right spot to select him. I'm not saying Daniel Jones is elite. But in my opinion, he's certainly a capable quarterback. And I think he's displayed that this year, especially given the circumstance. And all we heard going into this season by a lot of people about Daniel Jones was he's so inconsistent. One week he's going to give you a great game, then he's going to give you three horrible games. I don't feel that's been the case with Jones this year, especially when you factor in all the surrounding help around him. I think Daniel Jones has put forth at least an average effort in the majority of games this year. Has he been extraordinary? No, I think he's had two or three games where he's really gone above and beyond in terms of putting the team on his back, but he certainly has not lost this games and he's outside of the Rams game, of course. Um, and he's gone above and beyond in at least two or three games. We should have absolutely won the Washington game. And he was by far the primary reason Darius Slayton holds on to the football. Daniel Jones suddenly has one of the greatest statistical games, probably in New York Giants history. Like you think about that game, Pat, I think he would have been the, I forgot what the statistical accomplishment was. It was I think it was, Four total touchdowns, 300 yards, and 100 rushing yards had the C.J. Board penalty not occurred and had Darius Slayton held on to the football, um, which was kind of a phantom penalty call on C.J. Board. So I thought he played great in that game. He played great in the Saints game. Um, and there was another game, if I'm forgetting off the top of my head, where I thought he played really well. Um, so, oh, I think it was maybe the Panthers game when he didn't have any help at all. And I thought he did a great job in terms of putting the team on his back. But overall, I think Jones has at least been average in the majority of games this year. And for people that want to point the, the finger at him, I, I think they're not looking over all the other variables, that being the offensive line, and that, of course, being Jason Garrett. Yes, and speaking of the offensive line, I want to post a, a comment here that we got. And again, those of you who are watching us live, feel free to drop your comments in. They are showing up, as well as your questions, and we will get to them throughout the show as they come up. Uh, this one from Neil about questioning the move in 2018 to take Saquon instead of Quentin Nelson or quarterback. All right, quarterback... You know, hindsight's twenty twenty on that. But Quentin Nelson, now at the time when Gettleman made that move, I understood why. You know, you had Eli Manning. He had thrown for over 600 attempts in three straight years. He was getting up there in age. The feeling was, let's get him a running game, get him a, a, a legitimate weapon, and maybe we take some of the onus off of him. But that being said, I thought that was a short-term solution and it didn't really address the the possibility that, okay, in a year or two, Eli's going to not be here. We better make sure that we have a you know everything in place for the new quarterback. That, to me, I think was the biggest mistake that Dave Gettleman has made since coming here, is that they did not have an offensive line for, for Daniel Jones. They didn't have, you know, sufficient weapons in place for him. You know, they had the running game with Saquon. He's been hurt, but... That's why I think Daniel Jones, you know, just my take, maybe has been a little slow coming out of the box. And then you throw in the uh, changes in the coaching staff, just, a, a you know, a whole mixture of false steps, if you will. Yeah, I listen, 2018, in, in hindsight, was a disaster. Uh, Gettleman and the Giants basically admitted it, that it was. Um, I will go to the grave thinking that it was more Mara influenced than Gettleman influenced. That's just honestly how I feel. Um, I really felt that Mara wanted to give the Eli Manning another shot to win a championship. And he viewed Saquon Barkley as that immediate impact player. And the Giants tried to address both the playmaker and the offensive line in the same offseason, which you should never do. Um, you know, obviously by drafting Will Hernandez and signing Nate Soldier with a mega contract. 
The only way, in my opinion, and I'm a huge Saquon Barkley fan, he's my favorite player on the team, but the only way the Saquon Barkley pick would have made sense picking him that high, and by no means am I discounting Saquon Barkley as a player, any expert tells you he's the best player in that draft. He would have went fourth to the Browns had the New York Giants not taken him. And had he went to the Browns, a lot of Giants fans would have been complaining that we didn't take him. Because I'm going to tell you what, he would have been a superstar on the Cleveland Browns behind that offensive line. So it, there's a, it's easy to be a, a Monday morning GM. But it was the wrong pick. And it was the wrong pick because we did not have an offensive line established and we couldn't maximize the potential of Saquon Barkley. And a running back, we all know, is a short shelf life. Running backs are only going to play at a high level up until the age of 27, 28, maybe 29 on average. Um, and Barkley already is what? Maybe about co- approaching 25. So, and we still have not fixed the offensive line. So it, it just did not add up um, in terms of drafting a skill position player that early in the draft when we didn't have uh, the, the pieces around him to to maximize his potential. And I, I put that obviously on Gettleman. And like I said, I think it's Mara influence. But that was a big, big mistake. They should have traded down. They should have thought long-term. They should have started the rebuild in 2018. Absolutely. And now keeping with that, let's uh, get a question in here from Jay Seward, who asks, do you think uh, Daniel is gun-shy this early in his career like Eli was later in his career because of the poor offensive line? I'll start with you. I, I know what I think here, but I'll ask you first, Chris. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. I, I don't know if it's just the offensive line. Part of me thinks that, Judge and Garrett um, have really like instilled in Daniel Jones's head. Uh, we want to make sure we're not turning the football over. We, you know, we want to make sure we play fundamentally sound football. We know the defense is our strength. Maybe that has something to do with it. But for sure, I mean, when you feel you have no blindside protection and you got a mental clock in your head, I'm going to get rocked in a second or two. I got to get the ball out. Of course, that's going to impact you as a quarterback. We saw it impact Eli Manning throughout the final six or seven years of his career. And I think we see a different quarterback. And I hope, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this um, during the live stream with Andrew Thomas being back, but I I think we see a different quarterback uh, when Andrew Thomas is in the game because Mm. Daniel Jones feels like he can rely on that blindside protection. When he's not in there, he knows he's got to get rid of that ball real quick. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. And I saw a stat, and I don't remember if you posted it or where I saw it, but um, I'm sorry, Daniel is a totally different quarterback with Andrew Thomas in there. And you're right, because – he knows, I think there's a trust level that Andrew can batten down that blind side. And, and, you know, for a quarterback who, who, as it is, sometimes his, his processing clock is, is kind of off a little bit to have that reassurance that, okay, my left tackle's not my back. I don't have to worry about it. And it's just, I, I think that's a huge, huge factor. So Jay, thank you for that question. Now, Chris, I was doing some research this morning before we started, uh, this broadcast and I was looking at the giants red zone offense and I'm going to put some graphics on the screen. Yes, this is not, this is not uh pleasant folks. So let me just find it real quick. Um, I think this is it. Okay. Red zone passing. I know this might be a little uh, small, but what I was basically looking at is what have the giants been doing in the red zone? Because if we're talking about guys who I don't know if they're going to be here next year, we got to talk about Jason Garrett. That's, that's our segue. Into I know this. he won't be here next year. I, I would agree with you on this, but I was looking at these, these numbers. Okay. And I know this is a little off the, and I apologize for the formatting here, but look at the red zone targets and look at the production in the passing game. When I saw this, I mean, okay. The tight ends have, have each have a touchdown. I think Dante Pettis has a touchdown, but none for Shepard. 
Um, Tony, I don't believe, has a touchdown. Um, Ross doesn't. None for Galladay. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm going, how is this possible? I don't get it. I think a lot of it falls on Garrett. I mean, you look at Pat Shermer, who everybody wanted to run out of town, understandably so, wasn't a great head coach. But you you want to look at the red zone specifically, which, in my opinion, is probably the most important aspect of an offense. That is where you decide whether or not you settle for three or you put up six. Um, under Shermer, they had more red zone touchdowns in just 2019 than they've had with Garrett since he's been here. In in 25 games, they've had, they have 30 red zone touchdowns under Garrett. They had 31 with Shermer just in 2019, and that's with the same quarterback. That's with the same crappy offensive line. That's with worse weapons. Um, so I think a lot of it definitely is, especially in the red zone. I think that's when a play caller really comes into effect um, in terms of being able to scheme guys open in a, in a condensed space. When you're inside the 10, inside the 20, it becomes a lot harder, obviously, to get open because you don't have as much of a field to play with. And I think better play callers scheme up their players to get open more so than guys that maybe are not quite as innovative. Now, of course, if the Giants had a run game, it would certainly help Garrett. I don't think it's all on Garrett. The fact that they can't run block certainly doesn't help. Um, but the red zone offense is just uh, beyond pathetic. And, and the fact that Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay have less points as Giants than Andrew Thomas uh, speaks volumes. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned the run game. Let me just show you the, the run game uh, in, in the red zone here. A little bit better, which to me kind of screams almost conservative. I mean oh. – not not too bad, and I broke it down into inch inside the twenty and inside the ten here. Not horrible, but you know, you you spent all this money on on uh, on these playmakers, and you're telling me you can't figure out how to get them the ball. I, I what am I missing here? It's I I think there's, I think there, it's not just one. I don't think it's just Garrett, but I if you ask me what's the primary problem in terms of especially in the red zone. I, I think I would say Garrett one, I'd say offensive line two, but I, I, I think a lot of it has to fall on the play caller. And I've been as fair as I can, uh, as I can be with Garrett since uh, he's been here. But uh, this year, I mean, he has not won me over at all. I, I, he's done a bad job in terms of, um, you know, trying to uh, orchestrate touchdowns inside the 20. He's done a horrible job. Yes, indeed. All right. Let's take a quick break here. I do have to run a couple of sponsor ads. We'll be right back, folks. Get those questions in. Chris and I are happy to answer your questions. So go ahead and drop them in if you're watching us live. And we'll get to a few of them um, coming up in the next few segments. Hey, Giant fans. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part is there's no annual contract, so stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. All right, folks, you got Patricia Trainer here. Trainer and the Entertainer. That kind of rhymes. I like that. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you are enjoying our live broadcast and hope you are dropping your questions in. Matter of fact, let's see if we have some questions in here. I know I've got a couple that came in via email that we'll get to. Um, let me see if we have any questions here, um, just scro scrolling through here. I know, actually, let me get to the ones that I know we got via email. 
because uh, Renato P, who's a regular listener of the Lockdown Giants podcast, he's from Brazil, always sends in like three questions at a time, and they're really awesome. So let's get his first question up, and we'll answer that. Okay. So he asked, the NFL media from Brazil doesn't like the trio of Dave Gettleman, Judge, and Jones. They believe the three of them out next year. Does the U.S. media share the same beliefs, or are they more towards only Dave Gettleman leaving the team? All right. Chris, I think Gettleman, one way or another, will not be back next year, whether they call it a retirement, whether they call it a mutual agreement to part ways. As we discussed earlier, I don't think Dave Gettleman is back next year. I mean, unless this team makes a miraculous run to the Super Bowl, then I could see that maybe, you know, another year. But like we talked about, four years to fix the offensive line, and somebody else brought up on the chat the, the pass rush is still kind of a, a little bit of an issue there. You, how much longer can you go with this? At some point, you got to just say, all right, you know what? Maybe we've got to rethink this and go in a different direction. Now, Joe Judge, I think he is back next year. I think Daniel Jones is back next year because I'm not so sure. I'm a big fan of the quarterback class in the draft, and I know a lot of people early on have said the quarterback class next year is not the greatest. Ideally, yes, you want to sweep everybody out at the same time if you make a change at GM. And then, you know, the, 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 the logic is change the GM, change the head coach, change the quarterback. I don't think that's going to be the case. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think for sure. Outside, outside of the Giants going on a great run and winning nine games, um, I think Gettleman is gone for sure. Um, maybe eight games it becomes a discussion. But if you're asking me right now, yes, I think Gettleman's gone. Um, and I think the, I, I think the failure to address the offensive line is, is uh, proof enough um, to, to make a change at this point in time. It was his focal point when he took the job. That's all I heard as a fan, and that's what I was excited about because it's what I've been screaming about for 12 years. And he comes in, oh, we're going to get the hog mouth. We're going to fix the line. We're going to win in the trenches. Hasn't done it. So uh, I think that that alone is a fireable offense um, to get him out of your outside, like I said, of them winning nine games. So I think no matter what, uh, Gettleman more than likely will be uh, will be relieved of duty, whether it be him retiring or him being fired. Judge and Jones obviously is up for interpretation. If they bring in an outside GM, it obviously leaves it up for debate because if you're going to give the outside GM full say in terms of what he wants to do, he could – decide to move on from the head coach and the quarterback. He absolutely could. Do I think it would be a wise decision specifically with Daniel Jones? No. Um, the only way I think it would be a decent decision to move on from Daniel Jones, this is the only, um, I guess, scenario where I, I think it would be the at least acceptable. Um, I wouldn't draft a quarterback like you said. I'm not forcing a quarterback in a weak quarterback draft class. However, if I'm a new GM coming in, and I say to myself, okay, I think Daniel Jones is a pretty good quarterback. I don't necessarily know if he's going to be the guy that's here when we start to get good because I don't know if he's going to be worthy of that second contract. And they get an offer by a team like, say, the New Orleans Saints. Say the New Orleans Saints, they're picking late in the draft. They're like, we need a quarterback or the Pittsburgh Steelers, whoever. They offer you a first round, a late first round pick, a late second round, a second round pick, whatever. And you can bring in a stopgap to fill that void for a year or two before you draft your next quarterback. I suppose that's an option. But if you ask me right now what I think they're going to do, I think Judge will be back. I think Jones will be back. I think they'll run it back for at least another year and and, and try to get this thing situated. But um, Gettleman will definitely be relieved of duty. The only question I have at the GM spot at that point is, is it an in-house hire or is it somebody from the outside? Oh, I hope it's not an in-house hire. I mean, that's what they have done. Yeah. And, 
you know, if you're appointing a, a, a Gettleman lieutenant or deputy or whatever you want to call him, you might as well just keep Gettleman because the thinking is usually the same. I mean, there's a little variation, but I, you know, if I'm the Giants and I have to make that decision, I go outside. I cast a wider net because think about it. The last time they did the GM search, who did they interview? They interviewed Gettleman, who they knew. Yeah. Mark Ross, who they knew. Lewis Riddick, I think, was the only outside guy, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't a huge net. And at some point, you got to say, okay, I, I, and I get this. There's a comfort level. I totally get it. I like working with people that I know. But at the same time, I'm not afraid to go and take a chance on someone I don't know because you never know. You might find a gem. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't think the Giants have, have done that. And, you know, it, it just, it's mind boggling. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and uh, I think Lewis Riddick will definitely be part of the interview process if they're uh, electing to go with an outside guy. Uh, and he's clearly trying to set himself up for it um, with some of the things that he said about the Giants uh, over the last couple of years. And we'll see if he becomes that. But I'm with you. I, I, I want an outsider. I want a young, innovative mind. I want a guy in here that's um, going to come in here and shake things up if they elect to go that route. Um, I have my doubts, though, especially if Mara is going to force Judge on the next GM. I don't at that point, I don't know if it's the right decision to even bring in an outsider because I think you limit your hiring candidates. And, and I want Judge back, by the way. But and I would hope if they brought in an outsider, he would he would want to give Judge at least another year to try to get things situated. But obviously, if you go that route, you don't know if you're going to give him full say in terms of what he wants to do. Yes, absolutely. All right. Let's take another question from one of our viewers here. This is from Jay. Why do you think we got away from using Daniel more in the run game, such as play action or rollouts? I would think probably the fact that Daniel can sometimes be a little reckless in running and not sliding and just trying to lower his head and, and uh, you know, get that extra yard. I would think that has something to do with it. I mean, what do you think, Chris? I think the concussion does too. Yeah. Um, obviously when he got, I think when they played uh, Dallas, you know, I think he, they, they were running a little bit more, but I'm with you. I've said that since he's came into the NFL, you watch players like Russell Wilson, you watch players like Kyler Murray and they're just natural runners. Like they know how to get down. They have that, especially Murray. Cause he has that baseball background. They know when they to get down, they know when to slide, they know when to get out of bounds. Daniel Jones is, he's basically like a track star. Like he straight line speed. He could run fast, but in terms of, anticipation in terms of side to side quickness um being smart when he's running with the football knowing when to get down having that feel he just doesn't have it and i think the giants are probably worried about their quarterback's health and they're probably trying to limit turnovers um a lot of his fumbles have come when he's tried to run the football um but this week i, I do expect them uh to try to utilize jones a lot uh, I'm, I'm not gonna say a lot more but a little bit more in the ground game because the bucks run defense is good i think the giants are gonna have to get creative um, and I do think they'll try to use uh, Jones' legs a little bit this week. Yeah, and plus the Bucks uh, defense, the run defense is missing Vita Vea, so yeah. you know, th so they're banged up up front. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Bucks coming up. Uh, let's get another question up here. Uh, this is uh, from Oscar Rodriguez. How do you feel about Riley Dixon? That's a guy who, who a lot of people don't talk about. Riley Dixon to me has just been inconsistent. I mean, some days he's good, and then some days, you know, it's it's like. When was the last time we got a full game out of Riley Dixon where all his punts were solid? Riley Dixon uh, obviously was a great punter uh, two years ago when mm -hmm. he made the Pro Bowl. Last year, not, not a lot of people talked about it, but he wasn't very good. 
Um, and this year he's been bad. And, and one thing that I've said a lot uh, over the last couple of weeks, I would actually draft a punter in this year's mm-hmm. upcoming draft, like the last pick. But I would draft a punter because I would cut Dixon. You save like three and a half million dollars if you do that. And if you draft a punter in the seventh round, you're paying him next to nothing. So I think that's what I would do if I was the Giants general manager next year. Riley Dixon simply just isn't worth four million dollars a year. He's just not. He's been incredibly mm-hmm. underwhelming. Um, and that you expected that to be one of the strengths of this football team, punt coverage, things like that over the last two years. And it just hasn't been. Yes, totally agree. Absolutely. And I was surprised that they didn't do something with his contract this year, to be honest with you, because I thought for sure he was a target when they were spending out of control. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were spending out and next year, they are really going to be tight under that cap. They're going to have to cut guys. And I could see maybe Dixon, if he, continues on the path that he's been not being here next year. So, all right, let's look at another question here. We'll, we'll spend in this segment answering a few questions here. Why do you think judge deserves a third year when McAdoo made the playoffs and Shermer were fired after two years? What the, what's the difference? Let me weigh in here first. Number yeah, yeah. one, McAdoo lost the locker room. I mean, that's, that's plain and simple. I don't care about the playoffs. He lost the locker room the year after. And PS, I think McAdoo benefited and made the playoffs more so because Spagnolo was able to get a lot out of that defense, you know, and as opposed Jerry to Reese went on a spending spree. Yeah. And they also went on a spending spree, which by the way, collapsed. All right. And left them in cap hell. And that's, you know, when Dave Gettleman came in, they were able to clean that up. And now of course they're right back to where they are. They were when Gettleman came in with cap hell yeah. on the horizon. Shermer, he just, you know, there were a lot of little things. Number one, I don't think Shermer had a good coaching staff. I will go to my grave saying that and believing that he did not have a good coaching staff. Judge, I think, has a little bit better coaching staff. Now, will there be tweaks that need to be made? Absolutely. But I think Joe has an idea of how to get to where he wants to be. Now, he's learning that there are certain things that worked in Alabama and New England that don't work here with the Giants because it's a different group. But I think Joe has a clue, at least so far from what I've seen. I think that's why he gets a third year. Chris, what do you think? Yeah. Um, first, I'm going to say McAdoo, they had to fire him. Um, like you said, they completely lost the locker room. Um, his handling of Eli Manning was a disgrace. And I think it was kind of like spitting in the face of the Giants because he didn't like the way that they probably said that he couldn't draft a quarterback. But you don't do that as a head coach. And I, I thought his handling of that and the fact that he lost the locker room over the last four or five weeks – to me, that's still the most embarrassing season since I've been watching the New York Giants, uh, that that team the year after they made the playoffs. So Ben McAdoo had to be fired. I thought Shermer deserved the third year. So I, I, I am not one of the people that thought he should have been out after two. I've said on record I would have brought Shermer back because he drafted Daniel Jones. He was not a very good head coach. Judge, when you brought him in, you knew it was going to be a process. He's a young guy. He's 38 years old. He's never had a history of being a head coach. Do I think he's done a good job? No, not this year. I think he's made a lot of questionable decisions. I think he's cost us at least one game in terms of his decision-making. But then the other thing I ask myself, Pat, is this. Think about it from the eyes of a head coach candidate. If you're a head coach candidate and you're a good one, because that's what we want as New York Giants fans, we don't want we don't want another Pat Shermer. We don't want another hand-me-down. We don't want to – of course, somebody's going to take the job, but we want the best guy to want the job. Otherwise, why are you going to make a coaching change, Right. So if I'm a head coaching candidate that's going to be on the market next year, and I look at it and I say, okay, let, let me look at what the Giants have done with their previous head coaches. McAdoo, they fired him after two years. Okay. Pat Shermer, they fired him after two years, and they fired him after they only gave him one year with a quarterback in his rookie season. 
Interesting. Joe Judge, they brought in a 38-year-old head coach, and they fired him after two years. Hmm. I don't know if I'm going to have stability if I take this job, and the Giants don't have a very good roster to begin with. So that's what I look at it like. It, it, you have to just you have to also think about it from trying to attract the best candidates from the outside, and I don't think it's a very desirable job. Um, I would give Judge another year. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with uh, Albin there. Uh, he hasn't – Judge has done some things that I'm questioning. And last year, really, the only thing I questioned with Judge is – when they rushed Daniel Jones back to the to the game or to the to play after he was coming off the injuries this year, I did not like how Judge approached training camp. Um, I thought that cost the Giants uh, a fast start with the way he handled it. That drove me crazy. Some of the in-game decisions, like you talked about, I think have cost them games and yardages and yardage and, and timeouts and all that stuff. So, yeah, it, it just seems like they've regressed a little bit as a group, and that's ultimately falls on Joe. But that said, Joe isn't going to let grass grow under his feet. I think he's going to address that. He's going to fix it. You kind of listen to him talk, especially, you know, I mentioned how we handled training camp, and you kind of heard almost like a little bit of regret in some of what he had to say. Like, if he had to go back and do it over a different way, he would have. So I give him credit for that. There are some coaches that – you know, they, they, they're willing to die on that hill, if you will. I don't think he's one of those coaches that, um, you know, is willing to die on it and say, okay, it's my way. And I don't care this way's worked before. And it's, it's just gonna, that's how it's going to be. So that's how I feel about him. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm far from sold on judge. Obviously I want to root for him. He seems like a smart guy. Seems like a good guy. Um, but he's got a lot of growing up to do, but um, I'm, I'm just not in favor of making three coaching changes after two years. I, 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 now, of course, like I said, if you bring an outside GM, I want him to have full say. So if he wants to make a coaching change, you do it. But if say they hired me, which would never happen. Um, I, I would, I would try to, I would keep it intact for another year. Never say never. You never know. So. <laughs> hey, you know, in today's day and age, you never know. You, you never, never know. I mean, they could hire me, right? Not that I would take the job. Uh, you got YouTube stars <laughs> fighting like, uh, you know, famous boxers. So you never, you never. <laughs> All right. We got another question here as we, as we devote this segment to your questions. So please type them in and we'll try and answer as many as we can. LA sports wants to know other than Andrew Thomas, Aziz Ojolari, uh Xavier McKinney, Kadarius, Tony, who is part of the long-term New York giants future two to three years down the road. I think you got to throw in Saquon and Daniel for sure. Um, really? You, you think Saquon is, is part of Well, here, here's why. Hear me out on this one. I think because they picked up their um, – they picked up Saquon's option year, and it's going to cost them $3 million less than what it's costing them now. So the thinking, from what I understand it is, let's see what this guy could potentially do if he can get a full year in healthy. Then, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, for sure next year, and then they can always, you know, if they want to, they can – franchise him if he has a good year. So I'm I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though I don't want to see them give him a, a gross, monstrous contract. I think that would be a mistake. I think if they can come up with a reasonable deal to keep him, I wouldn't have a problem with him if he is healthy. That's, that's the caveat here. Daniel Jones, as we talked about this year, the quarterback class in the draft is not, not really like, wow, got to have this guy. Um, 
So you stick with him. He, he goes into his fourth year. His option year will get picked up next year. I'd be surprised if it's not. Yeah. He's going to be here for a couple of years. All right. And if he continues to trend upward with a different offensive coordinator, which I do believe is coming, um, you keep him. It's that simple. So those are two guys that just off the top of my head, I think you you potentially look at. Galladay, I think, is going to be here because of the contract. Yeah. Um, I think he's got, you know, the uh, the guaranteed money. And uh, I'm just trying to think. Tight end, they're going to have to address. I mean, no way I, I see Evan Ingram and, and Kyle Rudolph long-term in this this offense. So, and then offensive line, um, well, Andrew Thomas, they talked about. Other than that, I, I'm not so sure there's anybody on the offensive line that I could sit here and say he'll be here two or three years down the line. So let's let's cover offense here first. What are your takes? On offense, long-term, yes. Andrew Thomas for sure. That's a lock. As long as the guy could stay healthy, I'm hoping the guy's here for the next decade. Um, Tony's a rookie, so obviously he'll be here for at least three more years, and you hope he continues to mature as a player. So those two for sure on the offense. Galladay, two more years at least after this year, and then they have the option to cut him if he's you know still getting injured or regressing, but he'll be here for at least two years. Um, anybody else on that offensive line? Nothing's a lock. Um, so I, and, and Barkley to me, he'll definitely be here next year. There's no doubt about it. Uh, for me, from that aspect, then I think it gets dicey. Um, depends on how he plays, depends if he could stay healthy. If he stays healthy, I could see the Giants franchise tagging him or maybe signing him to a more cost effective, um, contract extension than we may have thought a year or two ago. That's definitely in the cards, but he'll certainly be here for at least one more year. Uh, Daniel Jones, I think for sure gets a fourth year. And I absolutely think they pick up the fifth-year option, like you said, and will more than likely have two years with the Giants if they don't like to trade him, if they want to draft the quarterback in the following draft. So I'll say Jones has at least a year, probably two. Barkley, at least a year. Thomas is definitely going to be here long-term. Tony's definitely going to be here long-term. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, that's, that's what I'd say about the offense. Okay, now let's talk about the defense. I mean, all right, so Aziz, absolutely – yeah. I think Leonard Williams, because of the contract, I, I don't remember. I know Williams has a shorter contract than usual, but I think he's got some guaranteed money that will keep him around here. Um, I would think Xavier McKinney for sure. Blake Martinez, I think could, I could see him if he's healthy. If he's, I think yeah. they're missing him. So I could see him back. I'm not so sure James Bradbury is back. I mean, he's got a huge, huge cap hit next year. I wonder if they keep him next year if, or if they just, you know, say, okay, you know what? We're going to go in a different direction, especially with 10 draft picks. And I think the cornerback class in the uh, draft class is pretty good. So I, I wonder if Bradbury will be back here. Um, I'm just trying to think. I don't see Carter in the, the long-term future. I don't see Ximenez in the long-term future. Dexter Lawrence, maybe? Would you say he's in the long-term future? Uh, that's, again, I mean, he'll definitely be here for at least a couple more years. And I think it. I think Lawrence will depend more on, you know, I got to see who the GM is first and what his philosophy is. He may have a completely different philosophy than that of Dave Gettleman. Um, wouldn't be a, you know, wouldn't be his guy. And maybe he doesn't value interior defensive linemen as much um, as Gettleman may. So Lawrence is tough for me uh, to know one way or the other, whether or not he's going to be in the long-term plans. I think for sure. Leo obviously is going to be here for at least another two years. I think he, to me, he's incredibly underappreciated by Giants fans. I say it all the time because I think a lot of Giants fans look at the contract and they're like, "Oh, he's not worth that money." This, you know, how many players in the NFL are not worth the money? That doesn't mean that he that he's not producing at a high level. He's he's a damn good player for the Giants. So I I think Leonard Williams will definitely be here 
Adore Jackson, obviously, because of the contract. I think he'll be here for another two years. I think you hit it on the head with Bradbury. I would not be shocked if he's not back next year with the Giants because they would save $13 million if they cut him. Um, and even if he is back next year, I don't think he'll be in the long-term plans. McKinney, off, absolutely. Aziz Jewelry, absolutely. That goes without saying. Definitely long-term. I am actually leaning on the side that they may cut Martinez or they may extend him and make it a more cost-effective contract. I don't think they're going to go into next year uh, having Blake Martinez take up $14 million on the cap, being that he's coming off the injuries and they could save $10 million if they cut him. They may work something out, though, that makes it more cost-effective for the team and maybe gives him a little bit more long-term stability, but not as much on a per-year basis. That's possible. Um, we'll see. But, um, yeah, that's how I feel about the defense. And then let's not forget Adoree Jackson because of the contract. He'll he'll definitely be a part of that as well. So, all right, folks, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Tampa Bay Giants Monday Night Football. And we'll continue to take as many questions as, as you guys submit as we can fit in. And if we don't get your questions in, I have Twitter Tuesday coming up. All right. So if you want to send your questions to me for, for Twitter Tuesday, I'm going to just plop on the uh, email address and below there. That's where you can send them to me. I'll get to them if you send them to me or you can tweet them to me. If you want, make sure you tag them, ask P train, and I will uh, answer as many of them as I can on Tuesday's show. I'm sorry, not Tuesday's show, Thursday's show. I'm saying Twitter Tuesday. I forgot Monday night football. So we got the review on Tuesday. We'll do Twitter Thursday. So you've got extra time to get your show in. All right. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Giant fans, Bet Online is back and better than ever before, offering a new web interface featuring more props, odds, and lines. Head to their updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKED ON. No matter what sport you're into, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers on Bet Online. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hey, Giant fans, have you checked out BillBar.com to see what they've got cooking over on their website with the latest flavors? Besides the nine flavors that they normally offer, they're constantly rolling out different types of flavors in nut and nut-free variety. And if you're looking for a perfect snack that is low-carb, low-sugar, and high-protein, Built Bar is it. It's also great tasting, covered in pure milk chocolate. So check them out today. And when you use our special promo code LOCKED15, you will save 15% off your first order. Again, that's LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 at BuiltBar.com for 15% off your first order. All right, everybody, you've got a live edition of the Locked on Giants podcast. We're coming to you on Sunday because we have Monday Night Football, and I'm joined by the entertainer, the legend himself, awesome, <laughs> enjoy talking with him. So glad to have him. So glad to have you guys and gals with us as well. And I hope you're enjoying the show. And Chris, we've got Monday Night Football. Let's take a look at some statistics here uh, or some rankings. Actually, we'll kick this off um, with the, let's see, we've got the Giants defense versus uh, actually I'm just trying to see and apologize. This is so tiny. And I, yeah, I think, I think on the left, this. it's the Giants defense. Cause I think they have 14 yes. takeaways. Yeah. Yes. This is what happens folks. When you get old, I am supposed to wear reading glasses and I refuse to wear them. So, um, but yeah, so we'll take a look at some stuff here. Um, 
some statistics. And then I just want to show you one other graphic real quick. This is the other half of the uh, of where everybody ranks. Chris, when we're talking about the Bucks and the Giants, if you're putting together the offensive game plan, I mean, the Bucks have a pretty good run defense. Yeah. So I would think you're probably going to go heavy on the pass, I would think. But what would you do? What what kind of tweaks would you put in to, to maybe, you know, move the chains and, and, and get into the end zone? I mean, last year the Giants held up well with the exception of, you know, a couple plays here and there against the Bucks. What do they need to change from last year and what can they do better? Yeah, last year against the Bucs, it was actually, I thought, one of Daniel Jones' worst games of his career. He, he actually played really bad. The defense kept us in that game and played really well. Um, going into this game, well, I think the stats are a little bit misleading when, when I, when I um, jumped into what the Bucs have done as of late as a defense. When you just look at their yearly totals, they're great against the run. I think they're, they only surrender 3.7 yards per carry. But their first five games this year, I think they only gave up like 200 yards on the ground total. Over the last four games, they've surrendered over 500 yards on the ground. So maybe some of that has to do with Vita Vea out. I don't know. But I, I, I still think they're a strong run defense, but I don't think it's as strong as the stats may indicate. So I'm not going to completely abandon the run against this defense. Obviously, their primary weakness, though, is certainly in that secondary. The question I have is if Andrew Thomas is back, because you have to respect the Bucks' pass rush, are the New York Giants going to be able to hold up offensively to give Daniel Jones the time to throw the football? But you absolutely have to take shots down the field against the vulnerable secondary with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And like I said earlier, I would try to get Daniel Jones involved a little bit in the run game. Also, I think you need to take some shots between like the 50 and the 30. We know we struggle inside the red zone. So try to take some shots as you as you start to approach the 20-yard line, maybe from the 30, 35-yard line. Try to take some shots toward the end zone. Try to stretch that defense, but don't completely abandon the run game. You know, you look at what the Philadelphia Eagles did against them. They ran for negative one yards for the game, and they put the game completely on Jalen Hurts' back. You're not going to beat the Bucs doing that. You have to respect that pass rush. So you still have to remain somewhat balanced. But I agree with you in terms of um, their their biggest weakness on their defense is certainly their secondary. All right. And before I forget, let me just quick put the injury report for those who, who are asking about it. This is the – I don't want to call it the final injury report, but this is what we're looking at. Who's out for Tampa Bay? Who's questionable, doubtful, and so on and so forth? Vita Vea, the run, the, uh, run stuffer, is uh, doubtful with the knee injury. I don't think he plays. Yeah. Um, uh, let me see. They've got uh, questionable. They've got one of their cornerbacks. Uh, do, I can't read what the name is. I'm sorry. It's too small for me. But um, Antonio Brown is out. Yes. Well, Antonio Brown's on offense. So we'll talk about him in, oh, okay. in just yeah, a yeah. sec. Um, so, yeah. So they've got uh, they've got some ba- guys who are banged up. And just real quick, here is the Giants injury report. Um, a lot of questionables. You know, the big loss for the Giants, and we'll talk about, you know, when we, in just a second, is – is uh, Logan Ryan. So at, actually, let's talk about uh, Giants versus the Giants defense versus the Bucks offense. Now, all week long, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Great player, no doubt. Ho- future Hall of Famer, I think we can all agree on it. And just a master of just, you know, figuring things out. But what's interesting, and I, and I did an article for Forbes on this, actually, the Giants have played Brady kind of tightly, I think, with the exception of one game. And that, I think, um, was early on in his career. The games have been close with Brady. 
And I'm not talking about, you know, obviously the, the two Super Bowl wins, which we all know about. I'm talking the regular season games. I think the, with the exception of one game, it's been like seven points or less that the Giants have won, which I find interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've historically always played Brady tight. I think he's 4-1 against us in the regular season, but we always play him close. Obviously, we have the two Super Bowl wins. Um, on, on, on the on the uh, defensive side of the ball, we know how you, you get to Brady is the pass rush. You have to be able to get quick pressure on him but you have to do it in, in the right way. If you send out all out blitzes, he's going to pick you apart. He's too smart. He's too, he's too good with the pre-snap reads. I think Leonard Williams is going to be a huge, huge X factor in this game. They're going to have to be able to get pressure with the front three or the front four, whatever it is. Obviously, you're going to have to blitz from time to time, but you can't get too blitz happy, similar to what they did against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and I think they're going to take a bend but don't break approach. I think they're going to try – um, to, to hold them when they get inside the 20, and that's where they're going to have more of an opportunity to create some turnovers. And when, when I look at going into this game, how these two teams are trending, if the Giants are going to have any chance, it's going to be the turnovers. Uh, the Bucks the last four games have been really sloppy. They've turned it over seven times over the last four games. They only turned it over five times over their first five games, and four of them occurred in week one against Dallas. So they only turned it over one time between uh, b- between games two and five, and they've turned it over seven times over their last four games. And the Giants' defense only have 14 turnovers created for the whole year, but they have 10 over their last five games and two in four of those contests. So to me, that's the biggest key to this game defensively is finding a way to get extra possessions finding a way to continue to do what you've been able to do against Pat Mahomes, uh, what you were able to do against Dak Prescott. Even though we got killed, we did force two turnovers in that game, continuing to do that as a defense and being smart with the football on the other side. All right. Now, how big of an X factor is it that they don't have Logan Ryan? The Giants will probably not have Logan Ryan. Um, And for those who missed it, Logan Ryan is in the reserve COVID protocol, tested positive, I believe on his second test. So unless he produces two negative tests within a 24-hour period, which is still a possibility, a slim possibility, he will not play in Monday night's game. How big of a loss is that, do you think, Chris? Yeah, um, Logan Ryan being out is I, – I think it's more of a loss than him. Uh, he's still going to be there, though, but on you know, in, in terms of on the sideline. But I think his biggest contribution to this team on the field is being a veteran leader, right? He's probably the leader – of this defense. He's a captain of the team in terms of his production this year. I think it's replaceable. I don't think he's been incredible. I think Julian Love could step in and and play satisfactory football at the position, but I think where they're going to miss him most is in terms of his veteran leadership on the field. Absolutely. And, And you bring up a good point about Julian Love. He's kind of the guy that you kind of forget about until you have to acknowledge he's there, but he he's been solid. I mean, again, not great, but if you're talking about production, probably can do much of what Logan does in terms of, you know, the scheme, I would think. Yeah. His nickname's duct tape, right? I think that's what Judge yeah. said before, before the, uh, and, and, and I actually said going into the year, I thought Julian Love was a very valuable player on this team, even though he wasn't slated to get many snaps because his, like his nickname says duct tape, he could, he could fill in in so many different scenarios. If you get an injury, he could play some slot, he could play safety. He's even displayed. He could play outside against the Cowboys last year. I think Julian Love could step in and at least play satisfactory. I don't think he's going to embarrass us, embarrass us at that position. I agree. All right. Now, so what are your three keys to this game? First key is turnovers. Like I said, that's by far the biggest key for me. Uh, if the Giants are going to stand any chance, they're going to have to win the turnover battle. Um, and they're probably going to have to win it by two. And I think they can. I think it's possible, um, especially with the way the Bucs have played as of late in terms of how sloppy they've been with the football and the fact and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this. I think Patrick Graham is brilliant. I really do. I think he's a really smart guy. 
you gave him two weeks to prepare for this game because they had a bye and they have some familiarity with Tom Brady being that Graham and obviously Joe Judge was was part of the New England uh, Patriots coaching staff and they did a really good job scheming against him last year. So I do think Patrick Graham is going to come with a really good game plan and I do expect the Giants to have some opportunities to create some turnovers against this Bucks offense. But that to me is by far the biggest key in this game. Um, the second biggest key is going to be scoring when we get inside the 20. And that to me is going to be one of the three biggest keys every week because we've been so bad at it. We're 32nd in the league in terms of percentage. We were 31st last year going up against Tom Brady. (laughs) You cannot settle for threes. You have to find a way to punch it into the red zone. So to me, that's going to be the second biggest key. And as far as the third biggest key, it's going to be, I I suppose, Andrew Thomas uh, coming back and holding up on that left side, being that blindside protector that we saw over the first four weeks, because if he's able to do that, I think it changes the complete dynamic of this offense. Yeah. And and a quick note about Andrew Thomas earlier in the week, I didn't think he would make it back, but as the week went on, started to trend upward. Now I'm, I'm just revising that. I think he will be activated. Now, will he necessarily go 80 snaps or so forth that I'm not so sure on. I think, I wonder if they might do a rotation because, you know, you're talking from ramping up a guy who had been on IR for three weeks, at least three weeks, and then you throw in the bye week. I don't know if there's wisdom in in ramping him up and going from zero to 100, but I feel better about, you know, especially having seen what I, I saw this week in practice and maybe, you know, getting him on the field and getting him you know, start acclimating him so that he can he can get in there because the Giants have some big games coming up starting this week, obviously, but they have the Eagles, which is a division game, and that's where you've got to start making hay. You know, they've got um, then they I think they've got Miami, Dallas, and then um, Chargers. I'm sorry, Chargers. I forgot that, and then Dallas, and then you start getting into the division games. You want all your guys hitting on full, you know, full cylinder. As we get into this stretch run here, you know, I saw a comment um, on the show. Somebody said, well, playoffs, they're not going to run the table. No, I don't think they're going to run the table. But I do think there are some winnable games here that, you know, given how crowded it is at the bottom of the NFC, I wouldn't yet rule out a wild card for this team. I know it's a long shot. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But right now, the math, they're still in it. They're still in it. They're not, I'm going to tell you right now, if they win this week, which I'm not picking them, I'm picking right, them. Me neither. <laughs> if they win this week, people are going to call me a homer on my channel because I will be picking them to go to the playoffs. Because uh, the, the seventh seed in the NFC is, is, like you said, incredibly vulnerable. None of those teams scare me. I had the Giants going nine and eight before the year started, and I had them at four and six after 10 games because I look at those final seven games, and I do think they could win at least four, at least. I, I, and I think there's an opportunity to win five. The Chicago yeah. Bears are bad. Uh, Justin Fields does not scare me. The Miami Dolphins are bad. Um, the Washington football team without Chase Young are bad. And that game is going to mean nothing for them. So if it means something for the Giants, which we don't know if it will, uh, the last game of the year, you know, who knows where we could go. So the Chargers even don't look as hot as they once did. So I do think there's an opportunity for the Giants to win at least four or five games after this Bucks game. So if they could ever find a way to win this game, which I'm not predicting, I do think they stand a legitimate chance to win at least eight or nine games. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We actually over on Giants country um, came up with uh, uh, what we call the charting a path to the playoffs. And um, I'll put the 
the U- URL up there, but uh, Coach Gene Clemens, who I've had on the show before, he actually broke it down where he thinks the Giants can win. And I think he forecasted a nine and eight record. But, you know, that's why you line up and you play the game every week. You, you know, you, sometimes uh, they're, they're going to steal a win. Sometimes they're going to blow a game that they should win. But let's close out the show. We've we got a couple more questions I want to get in before we call it a show here. So let's let's get uh, some of those questions in here. Uh, this one comes from, um, okay, Adam. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, this one, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I hit the wrong one. <laughs> oh, okay. There was a, a question from Spain. Uh, here it is. I'm sorry. From Regards from Spanish fans, why do you think Mara doesn't want to go to international games? Does he want to focus on the local market? Vamos gigantes. Let's go Giants, right? I see my Spanish, my four years in Spanish in high school paid off. Um, I think... Part of the thing is not so much that he doesn't want to. I think it's just kind of a, it it takes a lot of logistics and planning to get the team over. And some coaches I think are fussy about, um, you know, disrupting the routine Mm -hmm. to make the long plane ride. Now I can tell you what the giants are going to do. And I don't know if this is out there yet, but I, I've gotten confirmation on it. After the Giants play Miami, they're not coming back to Jersey. They're going right out to Tucson, Arizona. Really? Uh, yes. That's so they're going to Tucson, Arizona. Uh, they're going to spend the uh, a few days out there, and then they're going to go on to um, Los Angeles for their game against the Chargers. The idea behind that, according to a source, is to help them get acclimated to the time zone difference. Ra- you know, rather than flying back. To I actually think that's a really smart idea. Yeah, I think I do too. It's similar to what they did, I think, um, where they went out early last year when they had to play Seattle and, and some other West Coast games. And I believe what the plan is, obviously, they're going to play the game and then they're going to fly back the next day because I think that w- next weekend, if I'm not mistaken, don't they have Dallas after the Chargers? I think so, yes. Uh, so that's yeah. that's a big division game. So just a little tweak that Joe Judge um, is looking to make there in the schedule to keep guys rested, to make sure that they're not sluggish when they go out there. Um, so I, I thought that was that was interesting. And but you know I'm getting off topic with the question. I think that has something to do with it because it does take a lot out of you to travel. I used to travel a you know every week, um, and it it sucks the life out of you. You know because you're in you're leaving on a Saturday, you do the game, which is a long day. Then you've got to fly back. You know in my case I was flying back Monday or the day after the game, whenever the game was. And it just, I, I wasn't, you know, and I wasn't playing. I wasn't running around there, but it, it, I didn't feel myself until like Wednesday of the following week. So I can understand why the, the, the Giants might be reluctant to play overseas. Yeah. Uh, before I, say, I just see Albin, I just want to respond to his comment. Albin, I said, if they win this week, if they lose this week, I, I, I don't think we're making, I don't think we have any chance. If they win this week, I could see, I, I could see a, legitimate shot at being able to at least contend to make the playoffs. Um, but as far as um, the uh, overseas question, I, um, I, I, is that even up to the giants in terms of when they, when they get to play in London or when they, I don't even think it is. I, I think it, I think the way it works is it, it depends. Like if it's giants home game, then I do think the giants have a say in it. Do they? Okay. If it's a road game. I think it's up to the home team more so. I mean, the road team does get a say, something of a say, but, um, you know, I've always gotten the impression the Giants just don't want want the added, 
you know, the extras and stuff. And not, I'm not saying it would be a, a huge distraction, but it does take a lot out of you. I, I went to the very first international game when the Giants played Miami yeah. in London. And let me tell I had a blast, but the travel was a pain in the tush. Of course. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, I, I get it. Coming off of an international game, you get a bye week. But I, I just, I don't know. I That would be my guess. I mean, I don't want to speak for the Giants, obviously. You want the other Pat speaking for the Giants, Pat Hanlon. But uh, that would just be my guess. If, I, if I, I have a question a- for you. I'm assuming, sure. you, you've, like you said, you've traveled with the team. So you've been in a lot of the uh, the visiting team stadiums. And what which one is your favorite that you've been to? Oh, gosh, where do I start? Well, actually, let me clarify something. I don't travel on the team charter. I travel, when I say I travel with the team, I mean I travel wherever – I traveled wherever they went. So let right. me just clarify that. So nobody back in the day reporters did actually travel on the charter that stopped way before I came onto the scene, but my favorite stadiums, I liked Seattle. I liked Tampa Bay. Um, I, let me see what, what else did I like? Arizona was pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I like Baltimore. The, um, the new Cowboys. Cowboys, yep, the new stadium there is is, is is everything it's cracked up to be. Some of the worst ones I don't like. I, I don't I'm not a fan of the link for Philly. I'm not a big fan at all at Washington. I try to avoid Washington whenever I can. FedEx Field? When, when, oh. you, when you went to the link, did you wear your Giants hat? No. Yeah, well, we're not supposed to wear any kind of, you know, stuff, but it's funny. The last time I went to the link, I, I, I had a black coat on and, you know, it was winter time. I think it was a cold day and I had my black wool coat on and the Eagle fans. Oh, my gosh. They were not. Very, they were not very polite. <laughs> Let's put it to you that way. Oh, I'm, sure. I'm sure there's polite fans there. I don't want to. I don't want to. There's bash like three. The Eagle fans. There's like three. I don't want to bash them, but the group that I encountered, they were not very nice and they were just making lewd comments. And I'm like. And I'm, I ignored it. I just kept walking and doing my thing. But it, it, it was, it wasn't a very pleasant experience. And Can we sweep I, again, them this I'm, year? Can we please sweep them this year? That would be nice, wouldn't it? Oh. That would really, really be nice. But um, <laughs> all right, let's take a, a couple more questions and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, speaking of uh, Alban, um, would you draft an edge and an offensive line or double up on the O-line? I think I would do an edge and an O-line. What do you think, Chris? I think it depends on where we're picking, and, and, and it depends you know, on, on what players are there when we pick. But I would be completely fine with either scenario, um, whether it be edge O-line, O-line edge, double O-line. I, I'm, compli- I'm completely fine with all three scenarios, but I, I think the Giants really need to um, make that the focal point of this year's draft. I think going into the draft, I you know, for me, at least the way I feel right now, the first three rounds, I don't want to see anything but O line, edge, and maybe middle linebacker. That that's it. I, I don't want to see a safety. I don't want to see a wide receiver. I don't want to see a running back. I want you to fix the most important areas of a football team, and that's protecting your quarterback, and that's getting after the quarterback as well. I, obviously, a cornerback, maybe being that you know Bradbury is not going to be your long term long term is a possibility as well. But in the first round, to me, it's either edge or offensive lineman. I'd be completely fine with all three scenarios. I would too, but I, I definitely think edge and O-line have to be day one, day two picks. Yeah, for sure. No question about it. No sure. question about it. All right, and then let's do one more, and then we will wrap this one up. And again, folks, if you didn't get your questions answered, send them in to me. I will uh, answer them on Thursday. I'll do a tw- 
no, actually, you know, I keep messing up the schedule. Monday Night Football does this to me. Thursday is my crossover show. I will do a Q&A show probably. You know what? How about we do it on Wednesday? I know I keep going back and forth and I apologize. I keep forgetting Monday Night Football and then Thursday on my crossover show. That's why I hate Monday Night Football. That and plus we're up so darn late. But all right. One more question here. Um, let me just get the next one up. Let's see. I think, ah, here we go. Let's get this one up here. JC Silver wants to know our game predictions against Tampa Bay. Chris, I'll let you go first. Giants, I think, are 11 point uh, underdogs. 10 rather. and a half was the last line I saw. What, 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 what was it? 10 and a half. 10 and a half. So it went down a little bit. I think it was yeah, 12 a little at bit. the beginning of the week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think the line's a little high. I, I do think the Giants, I, I'm picking the box, but I, I do think the Giants will keep it closer than what Vegas thinks. Um, I think it'll be between three and seven points. I think the defense keeps the Bucs somewhat in check. Um, so maybe my score is a little bit lower than most people may think. Uh, I'm going to go like 24-20 Bucs. I, I, I think the Giants will stay competitive, but the Bucs will win. I'm going to go Bucks 30, Giants 24. I I would not bet the spread here. I would not take the, the points with the Bucs here. Um, but I do think the Giants can keep this competitive because they do play Tom Brady tight. Um, they are getting healthier on offense, which is a big, big, I think, reason why this point spread might have gone down a little bit. Um, the Bucks are banged up on defense. Um, I think the Giants, you know, I don't, I, I think something's going to happen because it always seems to happen. And the Giants just don't do well in primetime games. I don't know why that is, but, uh, I know I'm going to pick the Bucks, <laughs> and I'm going to, you know, but not by much. And P.S. I don't think that's the end of the Giants' season if if they lose to the Bucks. But uh, you know, if they win, boy, we're going to have some week on our respective oh, shows. Oh, if they win, oh um, man, it'll, it'll be like us beating Seattle last year, where you, where you got hope for the rest of the season. So it's going to be a really yeah. fun game. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the challenge. In, in terms of the primetime games. I think the reason that they usually lose is on primetime, you usually play a really good opponent. And in recent years, the Giants have not been good. <laughs> and, and I said it before the year started. When I looked at the schedule, I'm like, wow, the NFL just hates the Giants. Our two main <laughs> primetime games outside of the Thursday night game against Washington were against the two teams that were in the Super Bowl the year before. So I'm like, wow, they, they really want to embarrass this football team. But um, I, I think we'll be up for the task, though. I think we're I, not that we're going to win, but I do think we'll have a good showing. And I, and I believe in this defense. I, I believed in it at the beginning of the year. I lost faith after four or five weeks because, um, you know, part of me was second-guessing the way I felt about him coming in because I was like, well, maybe they weren't as good as we thought last year when they were going up against those backup quarterbacks, so on and so forth. But the way the defense has played the last three or four weeks, um, I, I, I do believe in this defense. I do think they're starting to improve. Um, they're not going to shut out the Bucs, but I think they'll keep us in the game. I think they'll create a couple of turnovers, and I think it'll be a competitive game. Absolutely. All right. Folks, that is going to do it for us on the live show because we know you got some Sunday football to watch if you're watching us live. And if you're listening to us, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. We hope we thank everybody who tuned in, who sent in questions. And again, from the Locked on Giants perspective, if I didn't get to your question today, send it in. Um, you can send it to email. Here's the information below at LockedOnGiantsPodcast at gmail.com. Tuesday, we're doing the wrap-up show uh, from Monday Night Football. Uh, Wednesday, I'll, I'll probably do the mailbag on Wednesday. Thursday's my crossover, and then Friday to be determined. So that's going to be the schedule 
this week. I know it's kind of a crazy week, but um, that's what we'll do. If you want to check out my good friend, Chris D'Antetana's uh, channel, here's the information where you can find him. He is on YouTube. You can also follow him on Twitter, which I recommend you do if you're not already doing. Excellent guest, excellent uh, football guy. He also talks Knicks and what other sports do you talk? You talk all the New York sports, Rangers. Yeah, I mean, right? I, I'm like I would say my channel is like 85 to 90 percent Giants, probably about eight eight percent Knicks, and then like a sprinkle of Mets. Unfortunately, when I was a child, I say it all the time. I was dropped on my head, and I I, I chose to pick the Mets over the Yankees, and uh, <laughs> and it's been torture. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a dire Mets fan as well. But I, I talk mainly uh, Giants and, and a little bit of Knicks. Well, I'm a Mets fan too, believe it or not. And what do you, you think know, of um, what do you what do you think of the whole Noah Syndergaard thing? Uh, man, I, I, do the Mets have a direction? Seriously, do they have a direction? I I, <laughs> I thought for <laughs> sure when we got Steve Cohen, we were all celebrating in the streets. We're like, I know, and we'll see. I, I still have faith that we're gonna we're we're gonna become a consistent baseball team. The Syndergaard thing, I can't really blame on the Mets though. He was coming up with two injuries. They offered him the qualifying offer. Um, but from what Syndergaard said is, I think he said he didn't believe in upper management. That's why he didn't even give the, the Mets an opportunity to match the offer. It is what it is. It's unfortunate, but yeah, it just seems like what can go wrong for the Mets will go wrong. That's the way it Yes. Always. They're well, cursed. I, 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 I'm starting to believe that they're cursed. Uh, but when, maybe... but when it finally works out, it's going to feel good. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait for that too. I mean, my poor dad, before he died, he's like, geez, you think I'll ever see the Mets get to the world series again? I said, I don't know, dad, they don't seem to have a direction. <laughs> and, you know, then the new ownership came in and I was optimistic and, you know, well, I'll, I'll give them time. Look, like I said at the top of the show, I'm patient as for yeah. the most part. So maybe a little too patient, but all right, folks. Be as patient as they come. Yeah. <laughs> all right, folks. Great stuff. As always from Christy and Tatana, check him out. Be sure you keep it here on Locked on Giants and also check me out on Giants Country. That's where you can find all my written work. We have plenty of stuff coming up. We'll have a live blog tomorrow with stats, facts, and interesting stuff from the game. Hope you'll check it out for Chris D'Antetana. My name is Patricia Tana, and have a great rest of your weekend and an upcoming week.